Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that might not be a 10, but it is the one. It's time to do a little stargazing. Mark, with me as always, and we have a special guest tonight. Old friend of the podcast, Robert Tiffin, come on down. Yeah, who's the special guest? This is exciting. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. It's actually Mark, but uh, you're yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah, obligated. And we're, we're finally going to get somebody who's going who's gonna to talk over me and, and have hot takes as opposed to my lukewarm takes. I'm never going to talk over you. I made that promise, and I'm going to keep it. The Easy Take Oven has more than enough room for three of us, I that's promise. Right. And as for talking over, that's usually my gig, but mine is the insight. So this should be good. I mean, Robert, it's been it's been a hot minute. You you and I, I remember the bubble fondly when we had so little to do that we would hop on and do one of these after every game. <laughs> Those were the good old days, uh, except for the way in which they were the very, very bad old days. But The yeah. worst of days. But yeah. it was one of those great, I remember talking about it in the early rounds and, and you know, cards on the table here. We weren't expecting a, a run to the final or anything. Thing, given how that team had finished that season. So it started off as one of those, eh, we might as well do a podcast after every game. That's what can be four or five games. That was so long ago that Joe Pavelski seemed like a fresh-faced young kid who wasn't quite meeting his potential. Yeah, he was washed at that point. Yeah. I remember distinctly, like we were we were mad. I, well, I was mad. I was big mad. It was it was not gonna work. And the, the the two remaining years of that deal were going to be a brutal drag on resources and you know, I feel like that's pretty indicative of my level of, of takery that how that one turned out. Yeah, it was Jim Jim Neal at his worst. He's like he signed another veteran who's who's washed, and uh, yeah, we're gonna suffer with it. And yeah. look what it turned out to be. Look what it turned and, out. And, to and be. now now Tiffin's writing stuff that says that we should go short term again. I mean, should we go short term again, Tiff? We're gonna get in. We we are gonna get into that. We're gonna talk about some roster moves. A lot of stuff has happened. Some of the stuff that's happened is interesting and matters. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna parse through it all. We're gonna do some prognosticating and some examinations. There's a lot a lot coming. We're we're basically gonna have Robert justify why he hasn't been on the podcast in as long uh, as, as it's been, and I think that's a fair criticism to level at him now that he's he's Bobby Big Time over at D Magazine. But that you is know. my legal name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But before we get into that, uh, we're going to shell just a little bit. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up to the minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile devices. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. And remember to use promo code BLEAV for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. This is actually a good segue into my first question, <laughs> which is you know, Robert's I, last article for D Magazine. He pretty much stepped up and said, this is the time the Dallas Stars need to step in and go all in. This is the and moment. What 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 are the odds? What are the best odds of any team that's going to win the Stanley Cup? Mm. I mean, I think we just saw him this weekend, right? Edmonton. And their odds of winning the Stanley Cup are somewhere in the 15 to 20% range. And the Stars are sitting somewhere in the 10% range. And so, Robert, if you go in, how do you change that 10% to be something that's worth going all in for? 
Well, I think the first thing I would say is that it's not necessarily about trying to get that percentage up as much as possible. Like there's a certain point of diminishing returns because you can't have everyone out in the ice at once anyway. You know, you well, can have well, a, like you want depth, but uh, you it's can't that have... kind of in the box thinking that's going to limit. This team's <laughs> yeah. like, you can you can actually have everybody on the ice, but they might call you for it. Well, what if what if because he's hurt, right? You get a Yanni Hockenpah jersey, and then you call up Bork and Stankoven, and you just do the like one on the other shoulders in the Hockenpah jersey. Man, I think you might also get, be able to get Chris Connor up there too if you really might as well, you right? really jam him in there. Yeah, yeah, that should work pretty well. <laughs> Sorry, uh, of course, I, I totally interrupted. What was a, a actual answer? A to the that's, a we're getting thought. to the real stuff. That's what I really wanted to talk about is the whole kids in a trench coat thing. Yeah, uh, but I guess that's the hard hitting journalism that the man doesn't want us to talk about these doesn't days. So talk. we'll, we'll <laughs> Listen, stick to the show light me, stuff. Show me in the rule book where it says you can't do that. uh look here's honestly this is this is where i'm at last year the two kind of main things that you could point to i mean i guess you could point to anything but the two things that really sunk him against vegas uh outside of you know one bad moment by jamie ben were the defense particularly lindell and hockenpah who just got destroyed by vegas's pace and, and size right they were just too mobile too quick uh, and in, in transition, it just was too much. And uh, the goaltending, right? You can't do anything about the goaltending other than just hope that Jake Ottinger will better. But actually, you can do something about the goaltending, which is put a better team in front of him. The forward group is absolutely better, no question. Best forward core probably probably in the Western Conference, it's not, if not the whole NHL, really, from, you know. Top to bottom, bottom. you know, yep. 1, to, yep. 1 to 12, absolutely. Right, but you can't, you absolutely can't lose the same way for the same reason two years in a row. That's that's just not something a GM can afford to do, right? Your literal job is to say, what are the problems with this roster and how am I going to fix them for next year? That's his job. He chose not to do it in the offseason, other than a little bit of tinkering, right? He, tra- he traded away Colin Miller, um, but it's been pretty clear that they still need help. The coach has very clearly sent that signal that Nils Lundqvist is not going to be, you know, the top four staple who's going to solve all the problems. Well, and- in fairness, Gavin, Gavin Bayreuther going down at the start of the season, right? That 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 plays a role here. Yeah, Gavin Bayley-Ruthers, he'd be up right now, right? I, I really believe that Joel Hanley has kind of played himself into an eighth defenseman spot as opposed Ugh. to a seventh defenseman spot um, this year, which, again, no no shade to no shade to Hanley. I mean, that's what he should be, right? A you know, borderline NHLer who's really reliable and can step in without it. Everyone knows that Joel Hanley spiel. It's yeah. great. Uh, and Gavin Bayreuther has the the reputation to be able to step in on your third pair and contribute and be really reliable too. Like, that's exactly why they got him, and it's a shame they don't have him for now. But yep. the good news is, this is why general managers make a lot of money. And this is why Jim Nill has been a general manager for a long time. Number one, because he doesn't panic and overreact and spend all their first round picks on uh, magic beans. And number two, because when there's a problem, he finds a way to fix it. Uh, he did it with Guriana for Dedanov last year. I mean, that what we thought it was just kind of a, well, we'll get something for Guryanov since he's not in the circle of trust anymore. And instead, they ended up getting a pretty key piece that made him a great third line uh, in the playoffs. I mean, really, it was more like a second line for a lot of the playoffs. It's easy to forget now that we have the marshman Duchesne sagan line. Uh, oh, but now, know, now's the time for Nil to do that again on defense. Especially, well, I think, you know, when we talk about Wyatt Johnston's development, I think a big piece of that was adding Dadanoff to that line. And, you know, that's when I think he was good all season, don't get me wrong, but I think that's when we really saw there was another level to it. That's absolutely right. And now you have the same scenario where you need a top four that can go into Thomas Harley. It's been a revelation, even more so than last year, right? He came in right before the end of the season last year and was really strong in the playoffs, kind of played third pairing minutes, but increased as the playoffs went along. This year, he's a staple, right? He's a stud. He's been amazing. You know all the stories, but you can't 
you can't send that second pair back out. Ryan Suter has shown that he can't really be relied on to be a second pairing defenseman. We all remember the moments and then him sulking and about it in an interview with Saad and all this stuff. So what we need, what we need to see is Jim Nill saying, no, now is the time to say this team is never going to be more cup ready than they are right now. Joe Pavelski isn't getting any younger. Tyler Sagan isn't getting any younger. You know, whatever Jamie Ben has left, now is the time to, to squeeze that, that juice out of the orange. You can't afford to lose for the same prosaic reason that you did last year. Uh, that first round pick, it's going to be a late round pick anyway. Now, now is the time to spend it. And there seem to be some good players out there to get. So let me yeah. ask you this, Robert, because I think this, this has come up a couple of times when we're talking about help of the caliber you're mentioning. For you specifically, putting on your Jim Nil mustache of power, are Stankoven and Bork on the table for the right deal? I think the first round pick, actually, a lot of GMs, a lot of GMs like the picks because uh, they could be anything, right? They, they could be anything. They could even they be a first round like, pick. Like a Logan Stankoven. Like a Logan Stankoven, yeah. The good news it's is magic those, beam. Yeah. The, those picks are actually more, weirdly, most GMs prefer prefer the picks than a player uh, up to a certain point, right? I think it's fair to say that Bork and Stankoven are in that category of all but certain, you know, to be strong NHL contributors that would be as good as most first rounders you're likely to get. But it does give a GM some flexibility and you don't get a referendum on it immediately, which is the other thing that buys a GM some time, especially if you're selling off, you're, you want to be around for the rebuild as a GM. And a first round pick is something that, you know, you're not really going to see if it was a good trade for years and years down the road. And then it depends on what you get for the pick and how they develop. It buys you a lot of time. Whereas just, just as an aside, that is such an unhealthy, not, not you, because I yeah, think yeah. you're, I think you are completely right, but it's an NHL GM culture thing. That is such an unhealthy, like risk averse, never change anything way to look at it. It's, it's the, it's the Simpsons joke, right? Like this could be anything, including the thing that we already have. Yeah. And I mean, yes, to be fair, obviously any GM would love to have Maverick Fork or Logan Stankoven. Uh, any GM would love to have those players. They're great. You, you can't really have a better forward prospect in the NHL than the stars do with those players in most ways. Right. Um, you know, maybe they wish they were slightly bigger or whatever in size, but you know, at this point, I think the NHL has kind of realized now you can, you can have a really good player and he doesn't have to be a power forward type since that role is also disappearing. Yeah. And I mean, the question that I have just along the whole thing is yeah, you're you're talking maybe like a thirtieth first round pick, which uh, which is legitimately kind of like a second round pick. But what are you going to get for it? Are you really going to do that on a rental, or are you trying to get some guy who's going to fill a position that's going to be second line partner for Harley for the next five years? Yeah. Well, what do the stars need, right? I think I think Chris Tanev has to be the number one the number one target. He just has to be. He's the type of player they need, right? He's as close to like a Stephen Johns type, uh, maybe a little bit more reliable, slightly less less. You know, I well, I don't know. I don't know. I think Chris Tanev in a lot of ways is kind of like an optimal outcome for for Stephen Johns. Um, he's that sort of player that you need. He's mobile. He's right-handed, thank goodness. So you can either play him. He, he can play top line minutes. He's tough. You can play him anywhere, doing anything, any role. He can be out there at the end of the game instead of Ryan Suter, which is, you know, let's let's be honest, that would be a very good thing for the Stars right now because Suter has had some good plays. He's got great veteran instincts and all that, but he is not a, a large mobile guy, physical guy who can really win those battles that you need in the playoffs against a team like Vegas. Whereas Chris yeah. Tanev, I think of the guys available, even without the term, he is the one you need for this playoff run. If I were well, gonna, and I think as well the thing the thing with Suter that has really stu- and this is classic anecdote stuff, right? So there's probably a, a chart somewhere that tells me I'm wrong, but 
from from my watching the games, right, starting as far as last season, I think when it really becomes apparent with Suter, and this is why I think the transition out of the top pairing and out of the top two pairings makes a ton of sense, is that when he's up against a top end forward, he's overmatched. He can do, you know, he's Eddie Harris, right? He can do enough with the grease ball and, and you know, spit and, and Vagisil and whatever, right, to get by against a lot of guys in the league. He can still give you some valuable time. But I think when when Suter really does stand out, it's when on those shifts, when he winds up against the, you know, the McKinnon line or when he winds up against guys that are, are faster, you know, those players is I think that's when his sort of veteran smarts fail him. And it's just not there. You know, it's it's the high profile stuff, right? Those are the situations where he he winds up in some trouble. And I think that's what's pushing him down the lineup finally. My theory. Well, and the thing yeah, is, I, yeah. he's ahead, a sir. service. He's a very serviceable yep third line guy or yeah. third pair guy. I mean, that that's the thing that people miss. Bad, bad, bad about Suter. Suter is a classic example of somebody who's being forced to play up the lineup, which does him as disservice. It's the Stefan so, Robida problem, right? right we, exactly. we as fans were livid at Stefan Robida. And what we were really mad at was Stefan Robida, number one defenseman for an NHL team, right? Like that's why we were pissed, but it yeah. gets vocal. Like, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, Eric Johnson is a good analog for him in a lot of ways. They're not exactly the same sort of player, but Eric Johnson, you know, for the longest time in Colorado was playing 22, 25 minutes a night. And then after after COVID, when this, they went on their their cup run, he was playing he was playing second and third pairing minutes down the 17 minutes. And he's younger than Suter. He's like mid 30s. But he's exactly the sort of player, you know, former stud, you know, top pick and all this stuff. Uh, the ideal scenario for a player like that as they get older and as their physical tools start to wear down a little bit is you still have all the things that make them great that don't age, right? Their decision-making ability, the way they see the ice, understanding the situation, how to kind of get away with borderline penalties a lot of the time, right? Those sorts of things we saw from Suter at the end of the game <laughs> yep. against Edmonton, Perish the thought. Right? How, dare, um, how dare you, sir? But that's a great you. asset in the playoffs. A player like Eric Johnson was a big asset for, for the Avs, and they missed him when he missed some time with injury, for sure. And I think Suter is an ideal analog uh, for that sort of player on a playoff team where you can protect him a little bit, have him down the lineup, and, and you don't have to put so much pressure on him and then he can show you that you know he still has something left in the tank regardless of how long you think he should or shouldn't be signed for well and it's kind of the same argument that you get with people who are all down on radic foxa and, and you kind of turn it around and say if, if you have foxa in the playoffs as a center nobody's going to be able to beat that I mean, it is, it is strange asset. how a lot of the yeah. anti-Foxa stuff has quieted down now that he's playing consistently. Like, now that he's not the guy that's supposed to help Tyler Sagan get off the schneid, yeah. right? Now that he's not that, he's still limited. But a lot of the a lot of the real angst has gone away now that it's him and Sam Steele and, and Craig Smith instead of, man, why can't Mason Marchment, Tyler Sagan, and Radic Foxa get it going? You know, you, you take a look at some of the stuff that Castillo is saying out there about Fox. I, you know, he's throwing out stuff about SGs from uh, from Hockey Viz and, and downing Foxa. And if you look at Fox's synthetic goals, ever since we got rid of bonus, he's been solid. And if you've got a guy like that who's playing fourth line, you're doing well. The, that's it's a luxury uh, that all championship teams kind of have to have, right? I mean, mm -hmm. think of the Texas Rangers. They they yeah. had Mitch Garver and Evan Carter, right, batting in the seven and nine spots in their lineup on the regular. Like that's what you have to have. You have to have a lineup that's stacked enough to have players who maybe aren't superstars and aren't going to perform well every night, but players who on a worse team would have to play up higher. Those are the players at the bottom of the lineup, as opposed to the you know borderline NHLers who you have to fill in there because you don't have a better spot for them and you're yeah. just stashing them there. 
Um, you've got a Craig Smith there who's going to score like 20 goals this season. If he's, if he's <laughs> yeah, again. He Those are the type of players you can have rotating in and out on the fourth line. I mean, that's that's the type of star team that Jim Neal has built, and he can't afford to let it stumble because of an obvious problem, a fixable problem uh, that he could solve tomorrow if he wanted to. Yeah, and I think the window thing really resonates with me, right? Because, you know, you mentioned a couple of the big ones, but I'll throw another name out there. Like, at this point, sorry, Stars fans, but... Matt DeShane has pretty much played himself off of next year's team, right? Unless unless he is so in love with Dallas that he's willing to take a, a you know brutal haircut on his contract, he's he's not a $3 million player anymore. Well, I mean, I, I mean, think it ultimately yeah. boils down to what do you say about Joe Pavelski? And, and Pavelski's numbers are great. And I think what he does that's positive is really solid. But his all-around game has finally kind of hit the aging curve here. And so... If you drop a Pavelski salary, all of a sudden, I think you bring Duchesne back into the mix. Well, the other thing to think about is the kids, right? Uh, you also need spots in your top nine. Yeah. Thank Oven and Bork. Bork, I think you could argue Bork could contribute on the fourth line. He's He's got a little bit more complete of a game than Stankoven. Um, but you really want to be able to do the Wyatt Johnston thing with players like this, right? They're not Wyatt Johnston. They're, they're different in a lot of ways. They're, they're obviously not in the NHL at 19 years old. Well, they're not uh, the same person. That's a good but, dynamite yeah. analysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the incisive uh, wisdom you get when you bring a guest on the podcast. Um <laughs> But you don't want to make that mistake of bringing on a 33-year-old and signing him for four. I mean, you, you know, look at Mason Marchment, how it's great that he looks a little better now. And he's not in his 30s, but he's in his late 20s. And he signed for two more years after this. And until Matt Duchesne showed up and started actually helping Tyler Sagan enter the zone again, he was looking pretty bad even at the start of this year. Mason Marchment started off really badly this year. And, and you know, it's it's to his and the whole line's credit that we've forgotten it. But I'm not sure how much appetite there should be for a player five years older than him to say, yeah, he absolutely, Matt Duchesne, who got bought out because they kind of got tired of seeing him wax and wane, that he's going to consistently play, you know, like he's playing in a contract year. Not to say that's a thing necessarily, but it is a gamble, even at twice the, you know, the salary. I mean, I think you'd say that's a bargain for a player on track for 30 goals, 6 million a year. That'd be a huge bargain. And already you start to look at their cap situation and you're thinking, hmm, hmm, when Wyatt Johnston gets his raise, how much cap space is going to be left? Thomas Harley's right. He's an RFA, right? He's not, he's not, yep. he's not going anywhere. Calm down the panic train, but there's a finite pool of dollars and you're right. Wyatt Johnson's going to need a new contract. There will have to be space for Bork and Stankoven at some point. I don't, you know, they're not going to cut bait on Pavelski entirely, but it's, it's, and then I, I loved your point. Cause even Tyler Sagan on that line, he's, he's 32 and I'm, I've always been a, a fan. And I think a lot of his struggles in recent years were the fact that Dallas kind of had two lines worth of players and he was stuck on the third line. And I think that hurt his production, but he's not carrying a line by himself anymore. And so, yeah, the, the Duchesne thing to me is as much about term as it is about dollars. Even if he says, okay, fine, I'll take three, which he won't, he shouldn't. But, you know, if it's four years, right, you're, you're exactly right. All of a sudden we're assuming that Mason Marchment will be consistent and Tyler Sagan's not going to get hurt or fall off and we've kind of seen that the trio sort of all has to work so it's not just that yeah mason exactly. has to be consistent or t it's it's that they all have to be in the mode at the same time mm -hmm. well and i yeah. would i would argue that probably marchman's more easily replaceable than duchene I mean, if you if you want to take stankhoven and and just slot him into that spot that mason marchman's playing right now i think you don't miss a beat it's that playmaking thing that Dallas has been missing in the forward core that 
Duchesne brings, and that's the that's the big enlightenment that we have here. Is all of a sudden you get some guy who can see the ice and can distribute the puck to other guys who can finish, and you put Sagan in a place where he doesn't have to be the man, where he has other guys who can put the puck in the net, and all of a sudden you have the makings of a really solid line. And I think Stankovic could step in in that spot without missing a beat. But how do you deal with the contract? But but as we talk about fixing the defense, right? That's I think the sort of decision that's facing this roster because the players that, you know, the players that we're talking about to fix that unit, right? In my opinion, it's not that they get one more part, right? But you know, you've got to push Suter down the lineup. You know, Hawk and Paw, right? That's an issue. He's been a lot better lately, but they're still only playing Nils like 14 minutes, right? So that's not a good so realistically, looking at this defensive core, you've got Haskinen and Thomas Harley as sort of your known quantities. Essa Lindell seems like a guy that in a, in the right role with the right partner, he's a guy that's going to help you. And he's still got one more year left at 5.8. So you, you, you can say, I think it's fair to say that between, you know, Miro Essa and, and Thomas Harley, you've got, you know, really three defenders. So that still leaves a, you know, three, three, four slots, right? That's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done with that unit. And those dollars have to come from somewhere. Well, and I think in an ideal world, you have somebody like Lindell, who's a who's a minute eater anyways, have him playing with Haskinen on the top line, have Harley being able to drive a second pair. And then you're really only talking about a third pair, which is much more replaceable than than what you might be thinking. But that leaves you with, OK, what can we do this year to get ourselves fixing the problem that we have as an immediate thing? and then set ourselves up for the next four or five years with Thomas Harley as somebody where we're really running, you know, 1A and 1B defensive pairs. Yeah, well, that's where Jim Nill has to answer the bell a little bit and decide if yep. he wants to get someone who's just a rental for this year and then maybe try to extend him on a foolish, you know, contract because they, they look good or because he's been pretty good at not doing that if he wants to go for like a Sean Walker or someone like that who who has a little bit more term or whatever, who, who's a little younger. Either way, I wouldn't expect Jim Nill to do one without having a plan for the other because he always does. Again, that's, that's yep. a really good trait of his. Um, I also can't let Mark just slip in the idea of Essa Lindell playing top pairing minutes with Miro Heiskanen and just not say anything because that's kind say, of wild to me. <laughs> but I mean, I guess I haven't really seen it aside from like the odd spot here and there, but I don't see Pete DeBoer doing that. He's pretty, he's been pretty clear regardless of whether Lindell could, right? He used to. Have, have you seen, have you taken a look at the, so, have you taken a look at the splits? The splits on that pair there's, are pretty good. Well, yeah, but it's really limited ice time. It's what, like 50, yeah, 60 true. minutes, something like that. So it's yep. not that much. It's like two or three games worth. I heard a lot of stock in Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's correct. No, I mean, I, I look at it the same way. Like, I think, especially as well as, as Harley, it, it's weird because we've been playing the get him on his correct side for so long. But I think Miro and Harley have been so good that if you're Jim Nill, like if if in your private moments combing your mustache in the morning, if you're Jim Nill, you're maybe thinking about, well, how can I just get a brand new second pair mm. so that I don't have to mess with Harley and Miro at the top of the lineup? Yeah, I mean, that's really honestly, that is kind of the ideal, right? You you actually need two right handed defensemen in a lot yep. of ways since since Lundqvist hasn't been able two, to use that second pairing spot. And two right handed defensemen even kind of assumes that Nils Lundqvist is going to be your you know third pairing guy, mm. right? Like. You know, that that's even if if he's if he really is not going to be a, a consistent player, then you probably need three guys. 
I think but, in a but, perfect I mean, world, but, but, he and Hawkenpaw actually are rotating in and out. If I had my druthers, if I were playing on EA Sports and all that garbage, I would have Hawkenpaw or Lundqvist, depending on the matchup. If I think it's so, going to be a night where I need that PK pairing and I can shelter him, great. If I think it's going to be a night that needs more transition help and needs more speed on the back end, then I'd put Lundqvist in. But that's <laughs> if you had like Walker and Tanev to put on the, the top four. I mean, I mean, the green? thing is, no, I, I think this is more of a DeBoer issue than a nil issue, because if you're really talking about you love Harley and you love Haskin and you like him together, why not run them as two separate pairs? But situationally, as a coach, you put them in when you need them. Well, it's the old um, it was. Oh, gosh, what was it? It was uh, Babcock and Anaheim, right? With with Pronger and Pronger Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer. Yeah, they yeah. were. They were a pairing. I mean, and they they played you know thirty minutes a night, right? But they were a pairing themselves, and then they were also on a separate pairing apart. Most right. of that. Bab- know, I feel like that was Carlisle by then. I feel like that was Randy Carlisle. We're going to argue about fifteen year old. I'm going to go with Tiffin because right Tiffin has California connections. He knows I remember being really annoyed at Mike Babcock in Detroit during like NHL on versus days. Then so that must you good. must be right because it's Anaheim. Yeah. I pay very little attention. <laughs> As you should. They were terrible, and also Mark lives out there, so you should definitely pay very little yeah. attention. That's I think. I, I agree that it's a coaching coaching issue because I think that more and more, and I think we've seen it with the forwards evolving more into duos than lines. Like in the modern NHL, you get you get some set trios, right? The Sagan unit and and the Robert team. But even so, coaches tend to be looking at pairs and then a third flex forward that can kind of rotate it and out. I think we might be starting to see, especially with the cap being what it is, you know, if you can't find four guys that are just, you know, generally well-rounded and then I think you're starting to look at guys with specialized skills and, and in a world in which you know Miro and, and Harley is your kind of main pairing that's your base mm-hmm. but then depending on game situations it might be you know it might be Miro and Essa if you're looking to close things down and you need to you know transition from both I, I, I see a world in which you can leverage the two of them with a more diverse you know, foursome beneath them to get a top six that is really kind of like one pair and then two half pairs sort of thing going on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this yeah. is this is kind of like you have a coach behind the bench and and the difficulty here is you have to keep track of who's been most recently on the ice so that you don't end up with a pairing that just absolutely sucks because everybody else winded. And, and so you have to dynamically be able to forecast what kind of pairs you're going to need as you move forward. But otherwise, it's mix and match. Yeah, but I mean, they got three coaches on the bench. There's a guy on the bench whose job it is to run the defense. Shouldn't that be what yeah, he's paying this, attention this to? Is compli- this is complicated stuff to deal with this stuff on the fly. It's so much easier to just kind of roll pairs and roll lines. Yeah. Well, and now they're going to have to do it with Pouliot up there and Hanley in their, in their bottom four on defense. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do. And I think it's a lovely segue. So before, just to set the stage for the next phase of the discussion, of course, Dallas has made a couple of roster moves. Um, Dadanoff has gone to LTIR. Uh, Yanni Hockenpah was hurt against Edmonton. And then Pouliot and Blumel have been called up to fill in the gaps. And, and I, I don't, think I, a, I, to be fair, I don't think uh, Pouliot has officially been you're called right, he, up You're yet. right. But he was uh, a but scratch. The reports are that he will be. So this yeah, they, he was a he was a scratch on Saturday, and given his profile with the team, that that's one of those like early tea leaves. You're scratching him because he's probably going up or getting on a plane in this case. But um, yeah, and and accumulate a tiny bit of cap for one more day. Yeah, because yeah. you want to get yeah for the LTIR, you want to be right at the cap because you get really. But anyways, I think yeah. we can read a couple things into that though. One of them is they only called up one defender. 
And given the situation, the units, and I, I think that that means, and, and I believe it was Nils was in the concussion protocol is what they said. My bright side, you know, sunshine hope is that that means they're probably confident he's closer rather than farther away. Otherwise, you might call up a pair of defensemen, right? You don't necessarily want to be playing with six again, right? So I think that we can read a little bit into maybe he's close, Um Right? Is that crazy? I, well, I think I, I think actually what it tells you, because in the concussion protocol stuff, until they start skating, you can't really bet on anything because it depends on how the guy feels when he wakes up, when he sees bright lights, or it depends on the symptoms, right? It's all really, really depressing and terrible stuff. Um, and yeah, it's a concussion is kind of like your day to day until you're not. So I, yeah. I what I read more into it is that Hawk and Paw isn't that far away, that the upper body injury that he didn't return from against Edmonton that they don't see that as super serious. Uh, yeah. Cause otherwise you'd see, him. otherwise you see Petrovic up instead in, instead of Pouliot. Yeah. And who knows again, this is, this is Sunday night. So maybe Monday yeah. they will recall both. And we just haven't heard it yet because Texas needed, needed at least one of those defensemen in the lineup. So they couldn't scratch both who knows, but I think it's likely that they're only going to recall one defenseman. But I guess by the time this comes out, everyone will know. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. Hopefully we'll be right. And then the other one, I think blue Mel, that to me, is a call, you know, why not Stankoven? Why not Bork? To me, that just says they're happy with the way the forwards are going right now. They're looking at a guy, a call that's much more going to slot into the bottom six than really, or, you know, the the more looking for a depth guy. And, and I think the thinking is still, they want there to be a spot for Bork and or Stankoven, kind of a meaningful up roster spot versus just needing some depth. And so I think that's probably why we're seeing what we're seeing with that call up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feels, I mean, it, it, yeah, ab- absolutely. Because I expect that Blue Mel's probably going to be the 13th forward. Yeah. They don't have to worry about getting him into the game. I think they're happy with what they have with the 12. Yeah, and, well, and it's, if a you, back if, to back, it's a back to back, right? So if someone gets right. banged up on Monday, then you want that guy to come in on Tuesday. Exactly. But the, when, when you bring up Stankover and you bring up Bork, you want to put him in the lineup. Yeah. And, and, the other, and so this, this is a way to get to get somebody up as insurance, but not change what you already have, which I think I, I think DeBoer's pretty happy with that right now. And the last thing I'll say, and this is a big brain capologist move, um, Blue Mel technically makes more by about 100K than both Bork and um, Stankoven. And part of the calculus there is the way that LTIR relief works. You want to be as you want your cap hit to be as high as possible. So I think the reasons we just walked through are the big reason, the capital R reasons why it happened the way it happened. I think the lowercase R reason is by calling him up, you get a little bit closer to the cap and therefore get a little bit more meaningful LTIR relief. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we're just going to assume it's right because I said it. Yeah. I think that's he's all to be fair to Blumel. He's also had he's had a really good yep. season, too. He's 20, he's, he's 20 goals. Play. He already he's, he's he's more goals than last year in 15 less games. Yeah. And he's, he's played he's, in the NHL before. Right. This isn't a, yeah. this is a guy who's who's been there and he's certainly, you know, they're going to point at him on the bench and he's he knows what's expected of him. You know, his role, what to play, all of that. He's, you know, 23. So it's not like he's a. Th- this is not a this is not a scrub move. Right. This is a guy yeah. that should be able to step into the roster and help. I'm. I'm kind of interested to see how, like, give him give him some time with with Sam Steele, right? Like, you know, whatever. Let's let's get crazy. Let's get let's get a little weird. Yeah, I mean, Blue Mel's a player, and the and the thing is, you take a look at it. You know, he's an AHL All Star, so obviously he's got a little cred there. But he's also a guy. There, there's been some rumors behind the scenes that Blue Mel is interested in an NHL job, and uh, and if it's not with Dallas, it's going to be somewhere else. And so this is kind of a hey, you have a future here with this team. 
Hey, and he scored an NHL goal uh, during, yeah. I think it was like last winter uh, in yep. like December 22, something like that, which is more, more than more than Mark Stankoven can say. That's true. Yeah. What have they done in the NHL? Nothing. <laughs> more more no. than I can say, that's for sure. That's, that's true. More than all of us can say, put together. In, 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 a, in an and I Johnny Hockey together, we've scored in the NHL goal. Yeah. There you go. You can play us all three at once. So, yeah, it'll be, I, I think I really liked your point. And Mark, you, you mentioned this earlier, right? It's this idea that to this point, Dallas has kind of prioritized incremental growth and being competitive every year. And you'd mentioned this in the chat that I really liked. It's at some point you have to be all in this year versus contending every year, right? Think, look at, look at the cups that Tampa Bay has won and the swings that they took, you know, heading out of the offseason. They don't always work, but look at the teams that have succeeded recently and they've, they've done something versus going into the playoffs where you're, you know, right now, if you're Dallas, right, I think your strategy is, I, I hope that Harley and Haskinen can stay healthy and we'll add, you know, 10 minutes of extra ice time to both of them and, you know, hide our flaws that way, right? And and that that could work, they're good enough, but that's an awfully fraught path to take. Well, and the thing you have to keep in mind is you can't just job this whole thing like you're gonna, it's like, oh, we need to, we need to get to the Western Conference Finals and we're gonna have to face Vegas. Vegas got to get to the to the finals. And you don't want to set your whole team up to to conquer Vegas and then end up playing Edmonton and and it's not the same challenge that you have. Well, and frankly, and, you got to get to the finals too, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so yeah, you know, you it's the same thing. You know, back back in the day, it's like you you remember the whole discussion about Dallas retooling their entire team because St. Louis out them, and so all of a sudden you're drafting big, Ugh. and and you you spend two or three years going through this whole phase because St. Louis is going to win the cup because they went big, and everybody else now has to go big. Well. Build a team that you think is competitive and and let them deal with you as opposed to adjusting to them. Now's the time, right? You, you've got to do something. And yeah. regardless of who you face, the the goal and really the stars can do it. I mean, they are there's a very solid argument. Oh, the window's wide the open. Three best, three best teams in the NHL this year. <laughs> They've been consistent. They really have been consistent, which is, you know, whatever however you want to describe that. Uh, that's the golden word among NHL coaches, right? They want to see consistency. And as much as it doesn't always feel like it as a fan, since you kind of live and die with each game, uh, the Stars, when you look at kind of the, their wins and losses and, and you know, 10-game chunks, they've been a really good team this year. So they have every right to be a team that other teams have to plan to deal with, as opposed to being a team saying, oh, man, I hope I hope this, this part doesn't get exposed too badly. Like, they should be going into the playoffs at this point. They have fixable issues, and they only have a couple of them. So assuming the goaltending holds up, uh, you really should be able to go into the playoffs saying, we're going to be the problem. We're going to be the team no one wants to face. And yeah. they're so <laughs> close to being able to do that, and why not spend and make that happen? Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, if you're gaming it, you do not face NHL teams that, that say we roll three lines. Even our fourth line can score. Pick your poison. You have two defensive pairs that might be able to hang with us. But that leaves us with a third line that's just going to dominate you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and nobody else can do that. Well, yep. the minutes change in the playoffs, too. Like your top two defensive pairs play a lot more. Like your third pair goes from playing like 17 minutes a night to like 10 to 12 minutes a night. But- Yep. And I think, frankly, that that emphasizes the advantage, strange as it is to say, because those lines are playing more. And when it works, your hope is that, yeah, they can afford to play more. 
because I'm going to sneak my first pairing out there against the fourth line of the other team. And yeah, it's more minutes, but they're not the same minutes. That's not exactly the case with Dallas, right? Like those those extra minutes are coming against, you know, okay, we're going to take a break and it's it's just the bin line, right? Like that's that's not the sort of thing that that adds to the workload that adds it's the because you brought up baseball earlier tiffin it's it's the you know it's the stress right when a mm-hmm. lot of times when you're evaluating the job a pitcher's doing you don't just look at you know number of pitches you look at situational there's a difference between throwing a you know full right. count with a guy on third and no outs versus throwing you know the first pitch of the of the first inning and the first you know what i mean like the mm-hmm. there's different stress levels Yep, absolutely. Same for goaltending and, and really, I mean, same for players, right? A stressful defensive shift because of the way that Haskin and Harley can constantly be be pinching down and keeping plays alive. That that old, that wears lines down, that wears other teams' defensive pairs down. So there's no reason not to have multiple defensive pairings that can do that at both, at both ends of the ice. And you take a look at the Stars' fourth line. The fourth line's kind of melded into this thing that is, you know, Smith, Steele, and Foxa dominate in the zone they don't necessarily create all the goal scoring chances but you got to fight to get out of your defensive zone against them and that's going to wear anybody down and they are good enough if you make a mistake they're going to score on you like they're not they're not a a a time off and i I would say robert there's another thing you know kind of talking about the need to take a swing that i'm thinking and and you, you hate thinking negative but Dallas also kind of has a little bit of a get out of jail free card right now. So, you know, one of the things most valuable commodities now, right, are guys on the ELCs, right? And and let's, you know, ideally, right, Dallas takes their swing, brings in a big piece, Tanev, right, or whoever. It works out great. They win the cup and we're all happy. Even if the move doesn't work out and maybe you get stuck with a couple of extra years, you, you do something silly, right? They've they've got the cap flexibility in in Stankoven and Bort coming up, right? And yeah, there's a chance that that something could go awry. Nobody's nobody matches projections exactly all of the time. But if you're Dallas, you can at least look at it and say, well, if we make a mistake, right, we're probably gonna get a useful NHL player out of either or both of Stankoven and Bork. And they've got a couple years of ELC. So even if we talked earlier, right? Even if re-signing Duchesne, right? Even if he turns into a pumpkin or there's an extra year of Pavelski or they bring in somebody else. And even if something goes bad, yes, this team is like right up against the cap, but they're about to be able to hand the keys over to some guys that, that aren't going to get paid like those guys. And so that gives them just a little bit more room to maneuver, I think. Yeah, their cap situation is going to be there's there's some relief coming both in the ELCs coming up and you know a- after this year Ben Lindell and Suter only have one year left on those and contracts. Sa- so, Sagan's but, through twenty. I think right now Sagan has one more year at, at the end of that. Yeah, yeah. Sagan but, has but, has after this year he has three more years, but but Ben Lindell and Suter are all done after next year. So that's yep. three big chunks. Not to mention Pavelski. Who knows what's going to happen there, right? And of course Duchesne. So yeah, you, you can talk about the money and move it around, but the the th- yeah I think that's right. That even if it does take you know, okay, we'll we'll get Noah Hannafin and sign him to some regrettable extension or something. Uh, that's still that's still a plan, right? That's still a plan that helps you during your window. I mean, goodness sake, like how differently we, this gets brought up all the time, right? The Jerome McGinley trade, but how differently would that be viewed if the Stars hadn't won the Cup? If New and Dyke had gotten injured that that one year against Detroit, uh, or or sorry, against uh, I think it was it well, was Brian Marchment, right? Um, so so same yeah. but uh, if if they'd never actually climbed the mountain, if they lost against Buffalo and then lost against New Jersey and never gotten back there, everyone would have said, man, that was a big swing by Ganey and the stars missed out the hall of famer franchise player. Wow. That, 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 what a terrible move. You know, that's why you don't do it. 
And instead, they have the precedent for no, that's why you do do it, because that's all it takes. Have a team that good, as stacked as the 99 stars were, and you've got to add even more. Get them over the mountain. You just Always have to add. add one more. And I think yeah. I think you can apply the Pavelski logic as well, right? And it, the deal tra- the Absolutely. deal turned out much differently because of how he played. But think, remember the the way that they they wrote the third year of that original deal so that it wouldn't be expansion draft exempt, exactly. right? Yeah, so, yeah, that was the plan. That that was the easy way to to so, deal with and, it. And this is realistically right. This is a team that can afford if if you have to give an extra year or two to get the right guy. The way the cap structures right now today, this is a team that can afford to throw some nonsense onto the back end of a deal, right? You can't have a lot of those contracts on your roster, but you can afford to have a couple. And they, you know, this is a team that can afford to do that right now if it gets you Joe Newendike, right? Because I think you could with that deal, you can even argue if he doesn't get hurt um, in in that first year, or even if Langenbrunner doesn't get hurt in the third year. Right. Like thinking about the way that those injuries happen, there's there is a world in which the stars have two wins instead of just the one they got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean, in a lot of ways, they got Matt Duchesne, who is essentially like the Brad Richards trade in 2008, where you bring this player in and then they signed Richards to a big extension and kept him around. Right. And it turned yeah. out not to work so well since the stars, you know, both the Tom Hicks bankruptcy and all that other stuff. Uh, and then they ended up losing him for nothing because he didn't want to go anywhere. But uh, that's the sort of way you have to be thinking, right? You have to be looking for that next. You need to have two number one centers, right? You need to have two uh, good, good defense pairings that you can put out without any fear whatsoever. And the Stars, because of the work Jim Nill's done, uh, yeah, they don't have a ton of draft picks in the cupboard, you know, because they got people like Nemestikov and, and others. But uh, oh, they've got God. enough. They've got enough to get a big deal done. They've got plenty. I, and I think there's every chance in the world that that there's a first round pick going out the door this year. Uh, of course, it's Jim Nill, so he might work some Magic Jedi skills and somehow get a get a great player that we're not expecting. But I, I really don't see how one of those top players isn't isn't someone Jim Nill's calling about every day right now for those. Guys. It is it is really difficult to look at this roster. And also look at the way, like looking at the way the rest of the conference is shaping up. Like, yeah, Edmonton's been a wagon at times this season, but Dallas played him even. You know, they lost a defenseman in that game. They lost in overtime, but that was a that was a hell of a game, right? And then looking at looking at the rest of the conference, is is there there are plenty of teams that I'm not saying there are plenty of teams that scare you. And they're very good teams. It's really hard to to discount, you know, McKinnon. You know, there there are much crazier things in the world than Rick Bonus getting an all timer run out of Connor Hellebuck, right? And and Winnipeg making noise. Vancouver, right? It's a PDO bender, but it hasn't stopped yet. Right? It doesn't look like it's going to anytime soon. You yep. know, Edmonton, Vegas. So it's it's definitely a tough conference, but there's not a single team in the playoff field that you look at and say, this team categorically outclasses the stars and they're better off waiting until the calculations change. The playoff seating is also a huge help too, for that exact reason, because, because there isn't that juggernaut of a team just waiting out there. And even the teams that have been really good this year, like Vancouver, you know, Vancouver still has to get past uh, Vegas or, or Edmonton, right. Before the, assuming the stars, you know, stay where they're at. And if the stars hang on to the top spot in the central, which they almost did last year, but if they manage to this year, uh, they, they, that also means that one of Winnipeg and Colorado gets knocked off before the stars have to deal yeah. with the other, either of them. So there's every chance in the world that things could shape up pretty well for the stars. Um, and again, let's not forget that, you know, Winnipeg is Winnipeg uh, and Colorado is missing Nishushkin right now uh, and probably for the playoffs. Uh, there's there's a lot of, you know, maybe Landis Cog comes back or not, uh, but there's Colorado is not quite the team that they were two years ago when they when they won the cup. And so I, I think, yeah. 
And it's also for reasons we've talked about. I think it's it's similar to the playbook against Edmonton. It's not. I don't think anybody matches up well against a team with Nate McKinnon on it, right? But <laughs> but Dallas is a fit for you know there there is a you can look at again. We get back to when Dallas has three and a half lines that can legitimately scare you, right? In the playoffs, you start getting into the black aces and roster expansions. You might have even more tools, right? So yep. a, a team in which Dallas has Miro and Harley in kind of trusted first pairing roles, they, they're they only one or two pieces away from being a really serious problem, right? But I, I think when you look at the good teams in the conference, there's nobody that's really designed plenty to exploit Dallas's weakness, but there's nobody that's just insurmountable. Yeah, and really, how would you describe uh, Dallas's weaknesses, quote-unquote, anyway? Right now, what you really have is they're not, when you get down into the bottom four of their defense pairings, they don't have a lot of speed and skill. They have I think a killer it, first pair, and then after that, okay, so you just have to get past their amazing forward group. I guess you're yep. dumping the puck in to force them. But I think that's I think that's the the weakness against Dallas, and I think this would become more apparent in a playoff series where game planning, like in the regular yes. season, yes. You, you don't you don't scout you scout, but like in the regular season, you're playing you know they're playing Boston on Monday and New York on Tuesday. They're not they're not mm-hmm. putting in packages right in right. A playoffs in a playoff best of seven when you have time to chase specific matchups. I think the ability to put elite talent on the ice against Ryan Suter and against Yanni Hockenpah and to some degree yep. against Esselindel. Like you can force some matchups in the playoffs that can exploit some of Dallas's defensive vulnerabilities. And, and that's what hard. they did. That's what they did last year too in the playoffs. You saw it. Hockenpah was scratched for a game uh, for this reason because he was getting targeted so much on zone entries and, and forechecking and things like that. And it was causing huge problems for Dallas. And so if, and if you're the star is right. If you're the stars, that's where it falls apart. You wind up in a situation where somehow, some way, the Colorado Avalanche are able to put Nate McKinnon on the ice against Joel Hanley and Yanni Hockenpah more often than Dallas is able to get Miro Haskin on the ice, right? That's that's the recipe. That's what you see. And you know, the the thing we've seen it, we've seen it a little bit with Ottinger's performance as well is Dallas is giving up a little bit more in the way of high quality chances because you know, some of those players are a year older and a year slower and a year more limited. And again, when you can find those matchups, you can, you can get a little bit of, you, you can get something out of them. Now's the time. Now's the time. Who would you yeah. get? Of the, of the D-men out there? Yeah. I think for me, I, I keep, I've looked at a few and even, even uh, David actually had a good piece the other day, I think in his sub stack, looking at a few other defensemen too. Um, and there's some, there's some other good spots. He even mentioned Radko Gudas, who, who I hadn't thought of. But there's a universe in which you could see Radko Gudis being sort of a sneaky third pairing. You know, hey, right-handed defenseman. Oh, I, I, yeah. you know, what what are you talking about? Radko Gudis is the new Roman Polak. Yeah, he's he's, play, he's playing with Haskin and I'm just set him up on that top pair, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So it's a good piece by David. Uh, uh, you should yeah. check it out. Um, uh, obviously, you should read all my stuff first, and then read his if you have right. time. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe maybe Shapiro's every once in a while, right? Yeah, uh, oh. you know, if you can. Um, yeah. But uh, but honestly, I come back to Dan Hamuse in twenty in twenty sixteen. I mentioned this in the article too. Well, I mean, he's probably available. He's, yeah, he he definitely is. He, <laughs> it's a bold swing, Tiffin. I don't know that I see it, but. Well, you know, if he's not available, you go for Taylor Fadoon. Either way, it's a win-win. Uh, <laughs> hey, but, Taylor you know, Fadoon, by the way, is still playing. He's playing for Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah exactly. he's in the Pittsburgh organization. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's great. Um, 
No, I think Hamus was the piece, right? It was so obvious. This is what yep. the Stars need. They need a guy, not top pairing, but they need a guy like this who can soak up minutes, penalty kill, you know, beat a tough player who can play in the playoffs and not bat an eyelash, season veteran, all that stuff. He's the player they needed. The Stars tried to get him. Uh, and, you know, then the, the Canucks ownership decided, actually, we want Nishuskin, not Brett Ritchie or whatever. And the Stars said, no, no, thank you. We're not going to do that for Reynolds, um, which was Jim Nill at the time, right? So if you're worried about, about him giving up like Stankoven or Bork for a rental, I think that's probably the reassurance that he's not going to do it because uh, he historically just hasn't uh, when the price is crazy like that. And if all the reporting out there is correct, Tanev, uh, Calgary is waiting for a first to be offered for Tanev. No one apparently has offered them a first for Tanev. Mm-hmm. So to me, Tanev is the ham use uh, for this year. He's the player the Stars obviously need. He's a perfect fit. He's If you want you know, playoff-ready, hard-nosed defenseman who can skate, uh, and chip in all over the ice, hard to play against. I mean, he's wearing all of those labels uh, on, on all the tags uh, dangling from his jersey. So he's the player they need. There are other players that would also be good, right? I don't think he's the only one out there, but I, I, he has to be Jim Nill's first choice. And now it's just a matter of pricing and and how cagey Jim Nill's going to be and how how many, you know, what what is, I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but, you know, the, the best GMs, uh, their main job should be find out who the worst GMs are and call them every day. So I assume that's what Jim Nils did. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, it's hel- what helps the stars, right? Is for a while, one of the, one of the issues was Calgary was kind of sniffing around the playoffs and they're very much a gate rev team. You know, some teams in the league don't care as much, but Calgary is very much a squad that yes, even getting two extra home games, you know, two extra playoff gates is a big deal for their bottom line. It, it looks increasingly like that's not going to happen. They're talking to Markstrom. So it, it does seem like the closer we get to the deadline, the more likely that's going to be, um, you know, honestly, like I, th- what is it? Hannafin is the other name that, that has kind of interested me as as well as another guy that that again might you you want that somebody that can step into that like so anywhere between like your three and your four or your two and your four is mm-hmm. you, in a perfect world for the stars somebody that can play in those um in those spots i yeah i mean i don't know i don't know about you mark but i i like hannafin i don't love him he's always been this player who you know highly touted uh when he was drafted uh came up and you know was was good uh, he and Dougie Hamilton, right? We're always kind of yep. the, I think they were traded for each other, if, if I recall correctly. Um, they've always been kind of like two sides of the same coin. I don't see him solving every problem for the stars. He's definitely an upgrade just because of how thin they I are. I was going to say, one the pr- problem number one, though, that he can solve is he is better than Joel Hanley. As yeah, probably. an NHL regular, right? Yes. Successful trait number one is that he exists and he's not bad. So that that's a good thing. Which, again, we, you know, no shade to Hanley or whatever. He's he's very good. He's an NHL player. He's one of the best NHL. Yeah. He's one of the best hockey players in the world. So, But again, we, we've talked about shifting expectations, right? We're, we're yeah. talking about this team in the context of a team that can win the Stanley Cup, right? Like yeah. Ryan Suter, for all the crap we give him sometimes, is a perfectly acceptable NHL player, right? Yeah. But if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup and he's in your first or second pairing, you're allowed to be a little bit salty at your GM. Yeah. Noah Hannafin's a little younger. So, yep. you know, in theory, you're, you like the term better. But man, Tanev is just a better player. He's just oh, yeah. a better player. He's historically, he's the, I mean, Brandon too, his brother, those Tanevs are, they're kind of like, they got that Hughes brothers mojo, right? Where they can just, you know, that if you put them out there, you're going to get more, hey. more than the sum of their parts. Why, right? why not both? Let's why just, not? Why hey, not, 
there's there's a world. I think Seattle loves Brandon Tanev. You know, he's been one of the. Oh, I actually meant Hanif- I actually meant Hannafin and Tanev. <laughs> oh, well, there, there, yeah, I guess. Well, let, let me guess. let me throw let me throw something else out there. What do what do you think about? You know, we, we you mentioned Seattle. What what do you say about something where you do maybe a Riker Evans for Maverick Bork? And bring in somebody who's just an up and coming defender who's going to be your new uh, Thomas Harley, and and roll the dice that way. Well, the other name, I I think it's possible. That's a, I, mean, I it actually hits. I I was thinking about this a, a little bit. Uh, I, I alluded to this in the article too that like this is actually a sort of trade that should happen more, right? Where oh I've got this great forward, but I need defense. You swap him, but the problem as a GM is if if the one you get doesn't pan out for whatever reason you get fired immediately. Yeah. Like you, that's such a huge risk. Yeah. But that, that it, Jim, Neal, Jim Neal has zero concern about that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe as I actually, I don't think it's as much about job security. I think it's that he's, he's got integrity and he's always yeah. been one to say, I'm not going to sell the franchise up the river or be perceived as selling the franchise up the river just to solve a short-term problem. Even though I actually agree that that's the sort of trade that should probably be on the table more in the little bit that we've seen of Riker Evans so far. He's been pretty good. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, but really, I think Adam Larson is the guy you try to get if you're talking to Seattle. Well, but I yeah, oh, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I thought Larson was a good pickup three years ago before he went to Seattle. Yeah, I think the only problem with Evans is I think if you're the if the, you're the stars, do you really want to left handed? He's a left D. That's the only well, problem. I was going to go size. And it's 5'11", okay, yeah. 189. Although humorously, looking at his page on ESPN, his uh, shot shotness is just a dash. So apparently Riker Evans either uses both hands or, or neither hand. <laughs> <laughs> they, everybody else has an The, the uh, Darth Maul hockey stick. Yes. <laughs> he just holds the stick in his teeth like that guy from, uh, like that guy from, um, what you One Piece. <laughs> what a pull. Well, are you sure David's <laughs> not on the call? <laughs> here's, here's one. What about Jamie Alexiak? Uh, you know, fun. you guys are breaking up. You're breaking up. There's a little <laughs> that's static. Not, that's right. I'm going through a tunnel. My laptop's yeah, going yeah. through a tunnel. I, I mean, I, I do think... I heard Julius Honka a... was available too, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> okay. I'll give I'll give 20 seconds to this idea. What about Jamie Alexiak? Well, the pluses, you know, in the bubble run, he, he was pretty good. Uh, he's played next to Haskinen and not looked bad. The downsides... I don't think you can really trust him on defense. And no. if he's not next to Haskinen, how, like, if he's next to Lindell, again, he's another lefty. If he's next to Suter, like, how, I don't, I don't think he's solving as many problems for you with, with Thomas Harley now. Jamie Alexiak is just a very poor man's Thomas Harley. And again, yeah, he's, he doesn't he's made a great him. career for himself, which I actually didn't think was going to happen. I mean, Jamie Alexiak is 31, y'all. This is crazy. But, it is. Uh, time has gone fast. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, but he's he's also got term in his contract. I believe. No, and, and to be two, very... Two, yeah, two more years. I was, I was yeah. extremely kidding about that. I saw his name on the Seattle roster page and remembered he was there and kind of chuckled. But I think you know the, the biggest contribution he made is Miro would bizarrely defer to him on rushes a lot yeah. of the time. And, you know, we don't we don't want to bring in anybody that's going to, you know, push near Miro, you know, kind of out of the offense. On the other hand, every time uh, this let me hit you with some high level uh, hashtag analytics. Oh. Every time the stars have acquired Jamie Alexiak, he's gotten better. So true. I mean, how good is he going to be this time? 
Well, right. what if they, what if they, could they trade him for him multiple times in the same season? Like, what if it's like a three-teamer? There's a seven-team trade, but somehow Jamie Alexiak is listed as part of every one of those seven trades. And he, he comes back and he's got like white hair, you know, flames <laughs> all around. And that's my, that's my second anime reference of the podcast, by the way, guys. I'm crushing Sweet. it tonight. Oh man, you're doing a great job, Wesley. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the the Riker Evans thing. Just to just to circle back on it, Tiffin, because I do think this is something that we we should encourage more in our general managers. But but you're right. The the you know if this was an NBA team, right? Like they'd be trading. All these guys would be gone and back in a million. But the NHL, that guys, I think you're right. GMs are are more afraid of the other guy winning yeah. than they are of them or then they are happy or expectant that they might win. And so, yeah, it really hamstrings right. a lot of the deals. They just don't happen. No, nobody is willing to be the guy that traded away, you know, wait, you, you gave up Bork for Evans, right? Nobody wants to be that guy. We're all obsessed with winning trades. Especially when there's every chance that Riker Evans just becomes the next Niels Lundqvist where, Oh, you traded for a not six, four young defenseman. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't earned the coach's trust. He's in and out of the lineup. And then when the playoffs start, we'll, we will be playing Joel Hanley over him no matter what. Yeah. So. And, and Ryan Suter. And together. Ryan Suter. Yeah. He's catching yep. strays. All right. Uh, anything else you want to get off your chest when it comes to the roster construction, Mark or, or Robert? I, I'm, I'm going to – Robert's the one with the hot takes. There you go. Uh, Man, Actually, I have It one. really stinks that Leon Bixel is not, uh, yeah. not in the AHL. That seems yeah. to that seems to have been a very poor decision on his part. Well, I mean, only he knows every reason, right? Yeah. I, I I think it's fair to say the stars. It doesn't take a genius to say the stars would probably prefer that he had stayed in Texas, right? I mean, they they're they're always going to treat their their players well, and they're yeah. not going to like yell at him and say no, you can't do that. But uh, man, it'd be convenient for him if nothing else for him to just come up and get a cameo and you kind of get to see like they did with Harley a couple of years ago, you get to see him just, just a little bit of a cameo and see, Hey, how NHL ready are you right now? Where are the holes in your game? Yeah. Uh, we're, you know, we're having a great season. We can afford to put you in there a little bit and just kind of see what's going on. Now would be a perfect time for it. Uh, so that's, that's unfortunate, but uh, you know, it worked out for Klingberg, right? Go over back, back over for another yep. year and season a little bit more. So we'll hope for a similar path for Bixel. Now, my my last question on this, Robert, because I know that that he's a colleague of yours over at D Magazine. So David Castillo has been banging the drum to move Radic Foxa back to defense. He's been, you know, really pushing this idea. Is that something that kind of is bandy about in the writing room? Is is this a how how dedicated is he to? Sorry, what is your opinion on his extremely firmly held belief that Radic Fox is playing on the wrong side of the puck? Yeah, I know David is. David has often said that. Actually, I think. You know, last time I checked, I'm pretty sure he said that uh, uh, Logan Stankoven would actually be a great goalie prospect. Yeah, it needs to be. Yeah. Start putting on the pads too. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't vouch for you know all of David's takes. I, I think maybe just the water in San Antonio is a little different than the water up here. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's an interesting thought, and I'm sure Scott Wedgwood would love to know that Roddick Fax is a hot in his heels for his job. So we'll just yeah. see how that shakes out and let him know that that was David's idea. A fascinating positional battle to keep our eyes on for sure. <laughs> Stankoven in net would be great. His size would certainly play to his advantage there, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, sure. Sure. Lots of guys learn new positions. He could just, everything he kind of uses to score goals, he just does that backwards and he's, he's money. Well, you, he's you've seen, you've seen the Tay. I mean, all he's got to do is make the save and then start skating up the ice with the puck. I think he has to stop at center ice. Isn't that the, isn't that the rule? Like, is that, that a rule? Is a rule. 
That is yeah. the rule. Well, Jesus. he can cross the red line. He just can't play the puck across the red line. Yeah. So what if it hits his skate and goes in? Uh, it hits you know, him across the red line. Men? He can't play the puck. So it's the same thing with too many men. You have to play the puck. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I have a serious shot. question. A serious question, Robert. We're, we're going to close this one out. So, you know, we've got a string of games. Uh, Boston, New York, back-to-backer Monday and Tuesday. Ottawa, Carolina. Then you've got another back-to-backer, the Islanders and Colorado, closing out the month with the Winnipeg Jets. That's a pretty gnarly schedule. Is Dallas still top of their division at the end of February? Yeah, losing some defensemen right now, not not great timing for it. But man, the stars look good lately. And it's not just the nine goal outburst. It's not just, you know, the way that they did more what I think Nashville had to cancel a team trip to see you two because of how how angry the coaches <laughs> were about getting stomped that they actually canceled like the whole trip to the sphere. Like it's a story out there. Around, boys. Yeah. They, Y'all they don't made him go to treat. the bar and listen to Duchesne. Yeah, that's the real <laughs> funny They made him listen. <laughs> They recorded it and just put it on all of their, uh, I was going to say iPods. That's how old I am. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think it's fair to say Boston always is frustrating because uh, Boston is just the worst in every way. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like a day game weirdness. So the Stars will lose like seven to five or something against Boston. But New York just doesn't scare me. They just don't scare me. And even their goaltendings looked a little shaky lately. I wish to Sturkin. So I feel I feel pretty good. The Stars are going to pull at least two points out of this back to back. And I yeah, bet those are more I wish New York wasn't a back to back. And I w- the thing that makes me nervous is New York is a back to back with an in- with with significant injuries. Right? If mm-hmm. if they're still you know if if they don't get Hockenpower or Lundqvist back, they're playing two games in a row with you know AHL talent on the blue line, and that's. That's where you get into some of the like, yeah, New York doesn't scare me either. But like, what if what if Panarin finds his way on the ice against Pouillot, right? Like that, then you get into some stuff. Yep. Yeah, we'll you see. are Pouillot's been around. He's he can. Pouillot's, you know, he's Pouillot's great, on a heater. Marking Pouillot has eight <laughs> goals and he scored he scored two goals in his last game. I mean, maybe you put. Why is he on defense then? I say put him into the top six and see what. Could give him Fox's spot. There you go. Power so. play. Power play. Okay. <laughs> Oh man. And it's, it, yeah. So it's again, if those weren't back-to-backers that makes me nervous. And then I hate that they, they've got Colorado on the second, they're going to have to play them after the Islanders. That, that, that annoys me as well. Stupid yeah. schedule. Well, this is always, this was always going to be like the proving yeah. ground for the star season. Like this part of the schedule was always going to be February is always going to be the toughest part. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, or at least I have, and I, I know y'all have a fair bit as well. So it's great. Like, this is what you want to see. If you if you really want to win the Stanley Cup, these are the sorts of parts of the schedule that really tell you where you're at. So now's a great time to take the temperature. And uh, the good news is it comes before the trade deadline. So if everything oh starts to fall apart, you got time to fix it. Also, the, the other good news is just if you're feeling anxiety, just tab forward to March. San Jose twice, Anaheim, Los Angeles, <laughs> then Florida, admittedly. Then you've got – it's really just like Florida and New Jersey – and then you don't play Vancouver until the 28th of March, and that's kind of your month. Yep. Where is your Dallas Stars fandom sense of doom in what you're saying, Wesley? My fandom sense of doom is that clearly they're going to lose on Thursday to Ottawa after getting. Oh, no doubt. They're going <laughs> to no, get I, four I, I've points against that, I'm not even going to watch and that just game. literally poop the bed. Yeah, yeah that's, like, six, that's six to two loss, guaranteed. Yep. Just lock it down. They'll yep. come back and then they'll again they'll beat they'll beat they'll they'll lose late leads to Colorado. They'll get shut out by Winnipeg 
and all the points. Like what? <laughs> I do. I do so appreciate right. that you won't let us finish a podcast without just some massive negativity. <laughs> I'm just saying that is it, you know, as this Dallas Stars fan, if you don't have this sense of impending doom, that you aren't doing it right. <laughs> you're not fanning right. Yeah. Yeah, you you're not a real fan. You're you're you Johnny come lately, whatever. You haven't you haven't suffered enough. <laughs> well that's you're laughing you're laughing, you're laughing because you must it's be true. this sad to enter the fan zone. Yep. Yeah. True fan. True fan. You can be a you can yeah. be a any other kind of fan, a Chicago fan, whatever. Yeah, but you gotta yeah. suffer to be a stars fan. My goodness. Well, one thing that wasn't suffering was having you join us, Robert. We, we, got, Robert. we have to do this sooner than another like million years. That yep. feels doable. <laughs> yes, we'll Maybe see close. what happens first. Jamie Alexiak comes back to Dallas, or I come back. Oh my gosh, that'd be what? What if it's part of the same trade? You you have to agree to come on the podcast, and that's the that's the sweetener for the the Alexiak deal. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Let's let's close out. Let's. We talked about the end of the season. I'm I'm gonna hope, and I'm gonna annoy you, Robert, to see if we can make it happen. I'm gonna hope to get you back in here before uh before the trade deadline but that may not happen it's it's an awfully cluttered calendar what what we've talked a lot about what you want dallas to do what do you think dallas will actually do i think given that there's more pressure in dallas to get something now like the injuries and defense just kind of highlight the need uh but jim nill is also smart he talks to everyone right the old story about him at the draft uh, i can't remember who told me this uh, so i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm Spilling, spilling something here, but I remember this was like six or seven years ago, but he came back from walking around at the draft and he comes back, hangs up his phone, and then he proceeds to tell everyone else at the Stars draft table like, oh yeah, this is who this team's taking, this is who this team's taking, this is who this team's taking. <laughs> like, he just knows what's going on. Like, this is what the best GMs do. They 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 understand what's going on. Uh, they, they, can, they can read the tea leaves. So my suspicion is that he knows what it would take. Uh, he knows the likelihood of a price coming down, right? Which team is going to be more desperate to sell and be willing to, to settle for a little bit more bargain. And he, you know, probably, they probably have their order as they always do, right? This is the top player. If we can't get this player, then this player, you know, just like they do at the draft. So my prediction is that you probably have like Tanev and Walker one, two, something like that. And that, uh, uh I, I think, I, I think, how do you not get Tanev? I think you have to get Tanev if you can get him right now. Because uh, Toronto can settle for someone else, but um, yeah, I think you have to get Tanev. Mark, what do you think? I'm not going to disagree with Robert. I think he's absolutely right. I mean, I'd like to disagree with Robert. It really hurts me not to, but I, I think you're for all the reasons you said. I also think that like Gallardi has proven to be he's a competitive guy, right? This is not an this is not an owner that has meddled. This is also not an owner that has pinched pennies, especially throughout Jim Nil. It, it certainly feels like whenever Nil has thought something important, Gallardi has tried to make it happen as best he can. So I, you have to imagine these are competitive people in a situation where they, you know, Nil's been around the block. He knows what winning feels like. They've been to a cup final. They've been close um, another time. Like this is a team that has had some success after a period of prolonged not success. They're not idiots. They can look at the distribution of assets. They've got a couple pieces along the way, but you know, this isn't a team that this isn't a team that is waiting two or three years for things to really coalesce. Like that's happening right now. So I, I do agree with you. I think that we're going to see a big swing because I think that they kind of have to. And I think that Jim Nell, like he's, even if he, even if he biffs it, right. Even if he goes after a guy and, and the guy doesn't work out, it's a disaster. He, they're not going to, they're not going to fire Jim Nell because he made a bad trade. Right. Like nope. it's not going to happen. He's got the job security. He's, yep, he's yep. got the trust, and he's frankly he's got the smarts. So if, if there's a way to do this trade, then he's going to do it. Unless Toronto yeah. goes nuts and outbids it. He's got an aging core. 
He has a prime core. He has a developing core. This is exactly what hockey GMs are supposed to have set up. Yeah. And yeah. and so when you have that set up, it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg to go take your best shot at winning the cup. Because that's what you're here for. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you both, Mark, Robert, for, for your insights, for sharing. Casey, thank you for stitching it all together. This was the Stargazing Podcast presented by Bet Online. Podcast over. Yeah.